Hi, this is bestselling author Marissa Iman. And if you want to become more intentional with your free time to explore self-empowerment skills, mental health, and your personal fulfillment, then you should be listening to the Free Time Podcast with my good friend, Carl Sona. Deep down in your gut, you know there's more to life than waking up for school or work, going through the motions just to get by, and living for the weekend. But you're still scared and uncertain about what your true purpose in life is. Welcome to the Free Time Podcast, your very own community and virtual support group created to help you leverage your free time as a valuable asset so you can start to improve your mindset, learn self-empowerment skills, and ultimately find true fulfillment to move you towards the incredible life that was specifically created for you to live. This is more than a podcast dropping three episodes a week. This is a movement built around real people sharing real stories focused on helping you make the most of your life by becoming super intentional with your time. Brought to you by your host, Carl Sona. And let it give its message. And I recognize that I'm not the emotion. I'm not the diagnosis. I'm the container. I'm, I'm experiencing it then I'm able to, it's still intense, but I'm able to hear it and learn from it and move through it. Now, before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a quick announcement. We're on a mission to build a movement here around the topics of self-empowerment, mental health, and personal fulfillment. These are all some really big topics that we all deal with as human beings, but also they're topics that will look a little different for each of us as individuals. And so I'd love to put a name with the face and learn more about who you are and where you are currently along your journey. So I'm super excited to announce that I'm offering free 15-minute Zoom phone calls with me in order for us to get better acquainted. If you're at all interested in this, please hit the link to my calendar in the show notes below to sign up for a time, and I'll see you there. Now, without further ado, Let's jump into Marissa, our episode in. today. Welcome to the Free Time Podcast. How are you today, Marissa? Hi, Carl. I'm so good. I'm so, so happy to be chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Today is a special episode because you're a very special person. As I was preparing for this conversation, I was just thinking about when we got connected at the Build Your Network event in Vegas about a month ago. And one of the things that I like to do, I kind of play like a little game, you know, especially at networking events where you're meeting so many different people. It's so hard to keep track of the names and stuff. But one of the things that I do to really help me remember people is think back to like the first thing that grabbed my attention about that individual. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's... A good trick. Yeah, there's just like a special connection there to be made. And the first thing that I noticed about you was that voice of yours. Like if I had to describe you in one word, it would be voice, you know, Aside from the obvious, you having this beautiful voice that you obviously use to do your voiceovers and your meditations and things of that nature, you actually have a voice that you know, you're using to actually speak out and to use in your motivational performances with regard to getting the word out there about mental health and sort of destigmatizing that space. So I want to commend you for your voice, Marissa, first and foremost. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm curious too, because I think when it comes to your voice, right, at least for me, it's so easy to become conditioned to the sound of your voice to where it doesn't really sound like anything mm. special. And then as, <laughs> as it relates to actually having a message, 
right? It's so easy for us to downplay that message and, you know, tell ourselves, oh, it's nothing that somebody else doesn't already realize or somebody else doesn't already know. Therefore, it's not very important. So I'm curious, when was it exactly that you first discovered the beauty and the power behind your voice, but also that you had a significant message to share? Carl, that's such a beautiful question. You're so right. Like we tell these stories and then they just become that. They become stories. And, and we don't recognize that that necessarily that there's power in them. And I think it's interesting because I don't know if I've fully grasped the power of my voice or story yet, to be perfectly honest with mm-hmm. you. <laughs> I like to hope that my voice is is heard and my story is heard and that it helps but i don't know if i feel the power in it yet so that question i really appreciate because i'm i'm going to look at that i think a lot of a lot of the work i try to do especially living with bipolar is is identifying the areas that need light shined on them so whether that's a fear-based emotion or now at this point with this question, realizing that I'm not giving myself credit for my voice. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. What about you? Do you feel like you recognize your voice as as powerful? I do. It's weird. So I, again, I love to hear that. I'm of a camp that, you know, I hear myself talk all the time you know, in, in my own internal monologue and it doesn't sound like anything special. But one of the things that I do is I try to really be cognizant of other people's feedback about the positive things, right? Not saying that I, I'm overly attaching my identity or my self-worth to people's feedback or any mm. external validator one way or the other. But it's one of those things where I feel like my voice has captivated people. You know, they'll oftentimes come yeah. up to me and be like, oh my God, like you should be a radio DJ or you should like, <laughs> like, like, like we were just talking, you know, offline yes. before we started the podcast. Like my friend yes. saying- you have a magical I, voice. Yeah, I'd love to just wake up to you or whatever. So I, I think there's something to be said for like, taking inventory of those things. And to your point, you know, spending some time with yourself and assessing and being like, huh, maybe this is, you know, an area that I'm not giving myself enough credit for. I don't know. I I think that'd be- Yeah, and I should. I love that you're saying that because I think, you know, as you're listening to this, recognizing that your voice, even if you don't recognize its power, it's powerful just to be able to have the ability to express yourself through your voice. I mean, I take that for granted, man. And I didn't realize until right now, it's so important to be able to express yourself verbally. Have you seen that hunger for words account on Instagram with the dog learning how to express himself with English? It's a really great, it's hunger than the number four words. And it's this woman who believes in the power of giving everyone a voice. She's a speech pathologist and I might be getting her title wrong, but something like that. And she's teaching her dog to press these buttons that are English words when he wants to communicate. And it's amazing thinking about how powerful our ability to say what we feel and what we think is. And and you're totally right to ask that question because it's something I'm sure so many of us take for granted. Uh, and it's so easy to, again, anything that kind of comes from within, it's so easy to sort of just like, you know, turn a cheek and be like, eh, 
whatever. Like it really doesn't carry that much weight. But yeah, think about how some cultures and some civilizations, you know, they're actually denied the right to speak their truth, whatever that may be. So I do think, you know, for what it's worth, it's something to kind of just have a little bit of extra perspective on. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So I want to, you know, help people better understand who you are, provide the audience some context for those that are listening. Walk us through your story. I know you briefly mentioned living with bipolar. You know, talk to us about how you grew up and maybe jog us through growing up to, you know, when you were diagnosed as bipolar. Yeah, sure. Growing up, I didn't know I was bipolar. I didn't have a diagnosis. And and even so, to this day, Carl, like I'm not a huge fan of clinging to diagnoses or diagnoses, you know, saying like, I'm this or I'm that, but just for the sake of clarity around what the diagnosis is, I just call it like it is, but it's, it's not necessarily who I am. I just consider myself super intense. And as a kid, that's, that's what I was. My dad always says the first word he would use to describe me was intense. I <laughs> never slept. <laughs> I, I remember being pri- like very prideful in the fact that I never slept also. I would sneak out of bed at night and meet up with my dad who also never slept. <laughs> and uh, and we'd have peanut butter and jelly on crackers. And I just thought it was so cool to be someone who just didn't need sleep. And for a long time, I hid the fact that from the age 10 and up, I, I was in and out of feeling suicidal. I remember at age 10 was when I first started to really get severely depressed. And I received well-intentioned, loving advice from a loved one. It, It wasn't intended to create the reaction that I had, but basically the advice was, if you wanna be happier, put a smile on your face and go make friends and that will work. And I did those things, but I never felt better. And I kind of picked up the belief that if if I let anyone know how how deeply sad I really am on and off, you know, if you look at my journals from childhood, mm-hmm. it's it's all mixes of I'm the worst person ever to I'm the best person ever and life is amazing. <laughs> it was a lot of ups and downs, but the really dark downs no one ever saw. I was always smiling and always happy on the outside. And I even was voted friendliest as my senior superlative. And no one would have known that behind the smile were thoughts about how the world would be better off without me. Oh my and, God. And, you know, genuinely feeling that way, which is why I personally, I understand suicide. I, I don't, I, I never would feel upset at the person who did it because I get that in those moments, and I think it's really important for people to hear this because I know people who just get angry at, at those who who have uh, who have committed suicide. And, you know, everyone grieves differently, so I'm not judging that response. But just to give point of view, in my experience, when when I was going through those times of coming up with plans and and writing out my goodbyes and everything, I genuinely with all my heart believed that it would make the world a better place and and that it was best for everyone. And I kept hiding this. And then in 
college, the lack of sleep (laughs) mixed with the intense emotions all caught up with me to the point where I experienced what is known as a manic episode. Mm -hmm. And at this point, it made it really clear looking back on my life that I had been living with bipolar that whole time, but just didn't know it. And during mania, which is essentially, you know, there's like a minimum of time that you're experiencing. I think it's at least a week or two of experiencing really intense highs that are beyond sane, really. Uh, the diagnosis at the time involved clinical insanity. I was talking with aliens. I didn't know where I was. I couldn't remember the day before, the night before, and on any given moment, I either thought I was a superhero here to save the world or an evil (laughs) villain sent to destroy the superhero (laughs) version of myself, (laughs) which like now, Carl, I totally know I am a superhero here to save the world. Yeah, you are. But back then it was uh, delusional thinking for sure and ended up being released in a way to, to my, to the custody of my parents instead of hospitalization and very heavily medicated. And so then I just spent the next few years, maybe five or so juggling different, what they call cocktails of medications. That's a fun way to (laughs) to describe having a pill to wake me up in the morning, having a pill to put me to sleep, a pill to calm my mind. And all at the same time, a lot of the things I was hearing from medical professionals was that I'd have to be medicated for life, that there's no other way with bipolar type one, which is bipolar that has a manic episode. And that's just how it is. And they don't know why these pills work, but they do, which Mm -hmm. eventually when I got to the point where I was like, I've either been at the mercy of emotions or the mercy of pills, I just started thinking there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you so much for, you know, displaying the strength and courage to open up about a lot of that. It's got to be probably interesting, you know, looking back to where you used to be versus where you're at now. You know, I can only imagine what that sort of difference mm-hmm. is with regards to you still being the same physical and spiritual being, right, but like right. at one point you were that way going totally through that manic different. episode and now, you know. And I also love how you talk about a diagnosis just being a diagnosis. Like I think a lot of us tend to hear something like that. Oh, you're diagnosed with bipolar type one. And then it automatically assumes the top spot of who we are as an identity. Right, right. And I want to really caution people, you know, because I think anything external of you is not necessarily who you are. And I think that's where a lot of anxiety and just internal conflict come from. Such an important reminder, Carl. Yes. And the only reason that I talk about it is to help people. So I have to talk about having it. But because I wasn't given any, any other possibilities, I was just told that this diagnosis uh, meant that mania could strike at any moment. And if I had a nickel for the number of times that I was told about a patient that went off their pills and ended up naked on the streets, Carl. I <laughs> Which, you know, in rural Vermont probably wouldn't matter, but... <laughs> in Denver, you're, you're in the paddy wagon immediately. <laughs> Label is a crazy. Are you speaking from experience? <laughs> <laughs> I might have a record. Shh, no, I'm joking. I do not have a record. Um, 
So I want to revisit that initial diagnosis. So, you know, you tell the story about how you were prideful about, you know, being intense and having all this energy and not sleeping, right? Just not being cognizant of the fact that you were living with this, you know, diagnosis. And then all of a sudden in college, you have that episode and you receive the diagnosis. Like, what was that initial moment like? Like, was there any sense of relief that like now you could go back and in your mind type loose ends as to why your behavior was the way it was? Or or was it like super scary and just super like devastating? What was that like for you? Wow, I'm so glad you asked that question because it just brought me back to a visual memory. I, I mentioned earlier that I was forgetting things that were happening. My memory during this time is very spotty. And in fact, for the next several years after that, my memory is really spotty as well. And I think it's from medications and and also I wasn't always taking them as prescribed. And there was a lot of things that caused me to lose good portions of memory. But I do have a visual, very clear memory. It's like this moment of sanity in the chaos where... I was sitting in a doctor's office and my mom and dad were there and the doctor said that schizophrenia was on the table as a possibility. They were testing me to like figure out what was going on. And I just remember the look on my dad's face, like this jaw dropping hand to the mouth. And in that moment, I remember realizing how serious this was for my life And I hadn't yet thought about it being serious. It kind of just felt like I had no say. I had no choice in what was going on. I was at the mercy of these emotions and I was at the mercy of this quote unquote mental illness, which now I don't view it as that. I just view it as a, it's something that I need to be aware of and it's a different way of living and I work with it instead of it working against me. But at the time, quote unquote mental illness. And I do remember in that moment being in my mind, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. This isn't schizophrenia and I'm going to be able to pull through this. I do remember having that moment because the look on my dad's face was so sobering and and really brought me back into my body, which I feel like at that time I I wasn't really. And it it made everything feel so real and... I don't think that the full weight of the diagnosis when it did come really hit me because I was still struggling with being in and out of it and trying to find the right cocktail of medicines. And at first I was really just sedated basically. But eventually what it ended up feeling like was that it's it's something that can't be cured and I'll have to be with it forever. And no one really gave me a positive viewpoint on it. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting because I think all of us at some point in time in our lives are going to receive some news that is heavy, potentially devastating, very confusing. You know, that's really going to sort of like rock our worlds a little bit. And I'm just like curious about this like concept of choice that we all have in that moment, mm. you know? And, and in my mind at this point in time, the choice is like one of two things. It's like sort of accept that thing and potentially re- relinquish your power 
And it, it sounds like, you know, like that was a heavy diagnosis for you. And, you know, obviously you've got to go on this cocktail of medications and things that are external to you, or there's an underlying choice where it's like, I'm going to still be an agent of myself and find a way through this. And it, it sounds like that's sort of like the direction that you went when you're like, in your mind, I'm going to find a way to sort of pull through. Like, I'm so fascinated. That's like a learned skill that people can like gravitate towards, or if that's just something that just sort of comes from within. I mean, what are your thoughts there? Because I think there's a lot of people that, you know, you hear about victim mentality are like, oh my God, wouldn't it be easier just to be like, I'm bipolar, right? Talk back to the identity thing. And then just maybe start acting out because it's sort of the easy thing to do because you think that that's what you're supposed to do. Oh yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. Sometimes I think, oh man, if only I, if only I didn't know how to work with my emotion now, because it's work, man. It's so much work to commit to listening to myself, to my body, to my emotions and to sitting with them. And instead of it's the funny thing is when you run away from them, they just get worse and control us in ways that we're not aware of. But when we sit with them and really allow them to have their moment and I I listen to whatever the intense emotion is and I I let it give its message and I recognize that I'm not the emotion. I'm not the diagnosis. I'm the container. I'm I'm experiencing it. Then I'm able to, it's still intense, but I'm able to yeah. hear it and learn from it and move through it as opposed to constantly running from it, which I'm not against medications. They obviously saved my life because I, I was totally out of touch with reality and they, they were kind of the bridge. But eventually when it got to the point where I was either at the mercy of the emotions or the, at the mercy of the pills, that's finally when I decided I am going to try something. I'm going to take action. And for me, it was just being really honest with myself about how I was feeling because for so long in my life, this goes back to that moment when I was 10 and was given the advice that you just smile, act like everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And and that message that feeling bad is bad. Yeah. It just it's not. perpetuates it. It's not. And, you know, I read a statistic the other day, you know, a lot of my listeners are millennials, you know, the Gen Y the Gen Z sort of population. And I read this crazy statistic that like, we're the most educated of like all the generations, but we're also like the most medicated. And oh, wow. I, I wonder if that's because of what you just said, right? Like it's like become a shameful thing or a bad thing to feel a little bad. And so mm-hmm. we just like look to go and medicate or is it because you know, we've been labeled or we're subscribing to labels of like, oh, you're ADD, you're OCD, so you need something. Like, like, why do you think that is? Obviously, this is like a statistic, so it's a fact. But, you know, why, why do you think that we are the most medicated sort of generation? I can only speak from my experience. Yeah. But when I was diagnosed bipolar, I was also diagnosed with, uh, I don't really know how or like the timeline, but all the diagnoses that I had were bipolar one, anxiety, ADHD, depression, insomnia, and bulimia. 
Mm. of which to this day only really feels true is that I'm super intense and ADD, whatever, I'm creative, you know? But anyway, (laughs) when all those diagnoses came, I wasn't aware of my own personal power yet. I kind of was like a leaf floating in the wind. And I really felt that I had no power in the face of medical doctors still. I mean, I I wish I knew more about medical anything <laughs> so I could go to a doctor and feel informed. But I think that we can be so educated in whatever, you know, us millennials or the Gen Zs are listening, we're the most educated, but it's in very specific things or it's in something like business or it's it's not necessarily about our mental health or medicine and we can feel like we don't have power and we just trust this is me this is i'm speaking from my experience i just trusted that they knew better than i did about me and my body and my mind oh my gosh yes go ahead and that's where that's how i i was like okay sure i'll be overly medicated and this again is just my experience but i really think i was over medicated when i look back on you know, six different prescriptions, each multiple pills. And I feel like that, did, that didn't have to be necessary. Why was that being prescribed to me? Yeah, yeah, that's... And I just trusted. And, and we have a system in America. Again, this is just my experience. I'm not speaking for everyone, but we do have a system in America where our doctors get kickbacks. They get perks for prescribing medication. And it's not like that in other countries. And yeah. I... I can't believe that that has no effect. I mean, that's so true. I feel like it's sort of like the classic like authority archetype, if you will, right? That which we see printed in news or in the media or a person in a white coat, they're the authority. Therefore, you know, you just sort of fall in line. And I think that we're starting to see those sort of traditional authority figures being challenged. I mean, look at what's even going on in the media today. (laughs) You know, you have like the people on the far right, the people on the far left, and these media outlets are so perpetuating what they want us to believe as fact. And we've been conditioned to believe those things as fact because we see them on TV. But look at like, for instance, who we have in office, like how many times have things come out about that individual (laughs) not saying truthful things that other people, you know, would be quick to receive and consume as fact because it's what they see in the media. And so I really encourage people to just sort of, again, it comes back to my passion around self-agency, come back to their core and really sort of ask themselves their you know, special questions with regard to what they hold as their truth from within. I think that's where truth really needs to originate from. I know we're probably about to wrap up, but I love this topic for wrapping up because I don't want anyone to think I'm an authority figure, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And we have platforms where we're we're sharing our words. And I think that you, the listener, are your own best authority figure. And in my book, even, I make sure to have it very clear that this is my experience. Yours can be different. I want you to to question your reality. I've been thinking a lot lately, Carl, about cults and how people get into them. And then at one point, a lot of people who are in them, well, not a lot, some realize that it's a cult. And then they leave and they think, 
how could I have been like that? Just like you were asking me, how does it feel to still be in this body, but look back and think that was a different person? And it just makes me wonder, what box am I in that I don't know I'm in? And I want to just be constantly questioning how can I open this box even more? How can I, how can I really choose my reality? And I think you encouraging your listeners to do that is one of the most important things that we can possibly do is to be responsible for our own reality and and be very cognizant of what influence. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we want to, you know, trust ourselves a little bit more and just take more ownership over that process And so, you know, before we wrap up, I do have a few more questions I'd like to touch on. You know, you you talked about questioning reality. I know that a couple of the outlets that you're very passionate about are meditation and music. I'm curious as to how you found meditation and music, you know, through your own personal experience and, and how that's helped you with, you know, coming into greater touch with your true identity. I'm so glad you asked that. It it really, all my life, music has been my therapy. I've been writing songs since I could speak. And then meditation was something I didn't even think was possible for me, again, with the whole ADD diagnosis and believing what other people said about me. But finally, I just, when I made that commitment of there's got to be a better way, meditation was the very first thing I started because I knew that I had to look at my emotions. I had to look at what was going on. And the most peaceful, non-judgmental way to do it would be through meditation. And I didn't think I could sit still. So I started by just listening to guided meditations, like music went out of style. And I would listen to them while walking, while doing the dishes. Uh, Don't tell anyone, but while driving. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and eventually it segued into me feeling comfortable just sitting and being present with myself. Uh, We have all these distractions going on. Mm. And meditation is so different than, than a constant dings. And it's funny, my phone is always on do not disturb in airplane mode, but it can be triggered into the, I think it's the emergency mode. If someone calls multiple times in a row Mm -hmm. and I hope it doesn't pick up in the recording, but when we got on this, my mom called multiple times in a row and it triggered the emergency. (laughs) (laughs) My my phone's always on do not disturb now because experiencing stillness and meditation helps you recognize how wonderful it is to just be with yourself. But it can be shocking at first when we grow up in a society where that's not common and it's not always promoted. I think more and more it's getting promoted, but certainly in our generation, you know, we were the first ones to experience having the internet, having aim, having, (laughs) you know, and it's been extremely helpful for me to be able to just have time with myself where I'm not judging my thoughts, my body. There's just no judgment, just observation and I think that's one of the most loving things you can do to yourself and in and of itself by giving yourself that gift. It's like you're letting yourself off the hook Yeah, and you can just be. Oh man, I think that's 100% it. Giving yourself a gift, operative word there, gift, to just be and let yourself off the hook. That's what it's done for me. I've been meditating now since about 2015 and over the past few months, I've really, you know, 
placed a greater emphasis on doing it consistently for greater periods of time because I've really realized some different dimensions to myself and even just mm. reality that I've started to kind of step into. Um, and I love how you speak about it as just being an outlet for people that feel like, oh my God, I've been missing out on this. This is like the greatest thing since sliced bread, listening to Marissa and Carl talk about it. What's the suggestion coming from you as an expert for people to begin to, you know, introduce themselves to it and or immerse themselves in meditation, like kind of meditation for beginners. What would you suggest there real quickly? I would suggest to start where you're at. What already interests you? Are you someone who already enjoys just being with yourself, then you'd be a great candidate for perhaps putting on, there's apps with binaural beats. You could put on binaural beats that are set to relaxation. I think it's like four gigahertz or something like that. You just put on your headphones, listen to that for 20 minutes. If you're someone who doesn't think you can sit still, go for a walk and be very present with it. Notice how your foot feels as it touches the ground. Notice how fast you're going. Can you slow down? Be present with your movements. And then of course, if I may, if you're interested in affirmations, I offer a a podcast three days a week with positive affirmation meditations that are meant to be listened to while grocery shopping, while washing the dishes, while doing other things for people who don't feel yet that they can just do that one thing. Because I think that's, that's stopping a lot of people that I've met from actually meditating. And if you notice that... (sighs) sitting in stillness isn't the only kind of meditation. We can have a meditation while we're having a conversation with each other. We're being very present with each other. We're able to see each other right now while we're talking. Although as you're listening to this, you're not seeing us. (laughs) That'd be very (laughs) impressive if you were. But if you're very present and you feel your body, you can make any moment a meditation. And it doesn't have to be this big, scary thing where you clear your head because to be honest with you, only maybe 10% of my meditation is moments where my head actually feels clear. I don't know about you, Carl. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I think that there's a big misconception that like you're supposed to just like force yourself to think about nothing. I think <laughs> yeah, it's like not that's as soon totally as you not realistic. Think about nothing. <laughs> You're already, you're, you're already thinking yeah. about, yeah, thinking about nothing. So, you know, it's it, meditation is like, I think of it as like a vast ocean. I mean, there's so much to explore there, yeah. you know, there's so many different types for anybody that is curious, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head, Marissa, you know, start where you are and, you know, trust that, uh, as you stay consistent, you'll find the pathways that are best suited to you. And, and I definitely want to give, you know, your guided meditations and your podcast a huge shout out. I think anybody that is curious and would like to you know learn more, check out Marissa's stuff. Because even the other day, I was like cleaning like my kitchen island. And you're right. Like you can totally be moving and, and listening. I, I remember just being so like present with like the mist coming out of like a little oh, squirt bottle. Yes, I was like, I was like this is dope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hope uh, that we'll have your voice on the podcast soon. Yeah, I'd love to make it happen. I mean, I could just talk to you all day. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> you're so easy to speak to and just such a you pleasure too, to listen Carl. to. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I love what you're doing. This is such an important topic and I'm so glad that you are doing this. Thank you. I appreciate that, Marissa. Thank you. And before I transition into the quick random round, where can people find your meditations, You know, follow your journey, that sort of thing? And the best place is my website, Marissa, M-A-R-I-S-A, I'm in I-M-O-N.com. Perfect. 
marissaiman.com. Awesome, Marissa. We have just about a minute left. So I want to transition to the free time five, just kind of quick five random question round, just to kind of have some fun with you and get to better know you. Is that cool? Yes, let's do it. Awesome. Awesome. So number one, what's your favorite thing to do, you know, in your free time as far as leisure activities? Creating music. Oh, it's the best. Just, it's like a download. I don't know. It's just so much fun. I feel like music is a friend and I just play with her. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Music is a friend. I love that. What's one choice today that you made, big or small, that's proactively addressed your mental health? Wow. There's been a lot, but I want to share a small one because I think a lot of people relate to this. And it was being conscious when I recognized I was scrolling through Instagram. I went on initially just to respond to something and then caught myself scrolling and I put the phone down. Yeah, that's a good one. I think we can all resonate (laughs) with that one. Um, I ask every guest this question. So if potential were a destination on a map, like a physical place you could go to, what would be more fun for you, Marissa? Would it be like the trip there, you know, the whole journey, the turns, all that good stuff? Or would it just be getting there in and of itself, like just arriving? Wow. I don't know if I can answer it because I don't know if I'll ever be there to know what it's like. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I think it keeps changing for me every day. I have a new desire for where I want to (laughs) go. Yeah, that's fair. So I guess I just got to appreciate the journey because I may not ever actually get a chance to appreciate the other. I love it. Talk about letting yourself off the hook there. I love that. (laughs) What's your favorite empowering quote? that you'd like to leave with the audience? It could be something you said or something from another. I'll probably butcher someone else's, but basically (laughs) I'm sure someone has said something along the lines of, I know I choose my reality. So I choose for my reality to be love. Oh, I love that. And then I'm really big on the power of visualization. I think that all physical things or experiences start off as a thought. And so I'd like to know where you're going to be in the next six to nine months, however you'd like to share or interpret. On more stages. Yes. Love it, love it, love it. Sharing my message through spoken word, which I now understand my voice is powerful, and music. (laughs) And loving every second of it. I love that. I cannot wait to see you do your thing, girl. Marissa Iman, everybody. Marissa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Carl. Such a joy and pleasure. I so appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, yesterday is gone and tomorrow is not promised. So there's no better time than the present to get into the arena of your life and to start moving towards your purpose and potential. Peace. Hey, I want to personally thank you again for tuning in. At the end of the day, I really do believe that we're all in this game of life to help one another out. And that the best way we can do this is through sharing our stories more openly and honestly. And so, if you like the show, please take a quick minute to leave us a rating, drop us a review, and subscribe for more. Also, I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and hear your story. Please head over to carlsona.com slash chat. That's Carl with a K. S-O-N-A dot com slash chat to book a 15 minute free Zoom call with me and I can't wait to see you there.